oftentimes we tell tell our clients, I don't want to be your largest supplier or partner or vendor. I just want to be your best. And so best is defined by how well I can align to them. And that includes the community pieces. It includes the, the internal politics. It includes the delivery components, the pricing categories. It's a different thought process if you go into it and say, I want a long-term relationship with you. And I'll accept whatever it means along the way, but longevity is more important. And when you do that, then you can reflect back 26 years later and say, yeah, we've built a legacy and now it's built in such a way that it sustains itself. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. As always, you have Adam and Chloe as your co-hosts on today's episode, where we welcome the president and CEO of W3R Consulting, Mr. Eric Hardy. Eric is a leader with over 17 years of technical and managerial experience. He's a shining example of a visionary businessman, as W3R is now a $55 million corporation that is only growing larger. As an entrepreneur that is committed to his vision, Eric leads W3R as one of the Midwest's fastest growing African-American owned and operated technical consulting firms. Eric, it is a pleasure to have you on the show this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Adam. Hi, Chloe. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm getting pretty excited just listening to your voice in the intro. So thanks for uh, getting this thing going. We we try to get you hyped up right, right at the beginning, right? So... Well, that was a very impressive, impressive intro too. I mean, $55 million corporation. I mean, Eric, That's tell amazing. us. amazing. Tell us all about it. How did you get here and, and how did the dream of your firm just come to life? Okay, well, th- thank you guys for being excited about that. Uh, I think we've come to learn over the last five to maybe seven years that we're on a, a very nice trajectory and, um, you know, it's something that we're very proud of. When we think back to the very beginning, this, this dream was really something that started back in college. Uh, one of my current partners was also one of the founders and we were engineering students. And you know, it's, it's nothing more complicated than, as I was recently telling a uh, General Motors Corvette uh, program engineering lead, I just didn't want to do that. So <laughs> we, 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 would, we would intern and we would go and work at these these all these, you know, large automotive places here in the Detroit metro area. And really my passion was around technology. And so we decided at that time that we would, excuse me, try our hand at something that was more related to that. And so we started to kind of deviate from the path of traditional engineering and 
started the business while we were actually still in college. And wow. Oh, nice. Morphed, morphed and changed many times over the years, obviously, but mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of how it was born. And I was just lucky that, uh, you know, we found some, some very talented individuals that wanted to take the journey at the same time with us. That's awesome. You know, and some of the most organized people I've ever met have been engineers. So, um, how I think that's a really interesting gap, right? And I love exploring those type of things. But how have you seen, like, with the engineering background, the engineering mindset, how has that helped prepare you to be a leader of such a large company and translate your vision from your mind to your employees? Now, that's, that's a great question, Adam. And, and, and over the years, I've told um, students and, and folks, that an engineering background, you know, as people are trying to figure out their own career and path, an engineering background right. lays this foundation around the way you think, uh, critical thinking, uh, decision-making, problem-solving analysis. And as a leader, really, uh, and you're trying to grow the business, one of the things that's probably most important, especially as I, as I now talk to a lot of startup businesses and we do some mentorship, is the ability to diagnose a problem, root cause that, if you will, and then option the solutions. And so when we were young, because my partners are also engineers too. So when we were young, we would, we would often say, um, I don't have the solution to the problem, but I know it exists. By the time we came back the next day, uh, we would have some working version of a solution set. And so it's just a mindset. It's uh, something that now becomes part of your DNA. How do I, how do I uh, move obstacles and come up with creative solutions? So it's, it served us very well. Um, I rely upon it every day. And so I, I actually, when we're recruiting folks, we like them to come from some, some version of that type of background. Not in, not in every case, but in, in a lot of our leadership positions, it, it serves us very well. That's awesome. 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 So, you know, I, I want to kind of jump in, you know, and take a step back and tell us a mm-hmm. little bit about, you know, W3R's mission and, and sort of what are your, the solutions and services that you offer to some of your clients? Yeah, thanks for giving us an opportunity to describe that. Um, we look at the, the business really in, I think, two different, uh, two different veins today. One, because we've been around for 26 years, and it's really our personal mission, myself, my partners, our personal mission to give back and to develop uh, the next generation of leaders, right? And if we don't do that, if we don't step into that vacuum, into that opportunity space, uh, how can we expect anyone else to do that, right? So we're doing our part there. And that could be mentorship. It could be scholarship. It could be um, things around pipelining from a talent perspective and just helping to foster relationships for people. So that's kind of the personal goal and mission of my partners and, and a lot of our leadership team is to get younger and help folks. Um, from, from a corporate disposition, our relationship to the marketplace, we're an IT provider, um, we've grown and changed the business over the years. And so we really focus on everything that's data, data driven. So we uh, curate data, we move data, we do data management services, we do the data governance components, all while doing some of the more traditional things from an IT perspective. We do a lot of contingent labor and talent provisioning for, for our clients. We do that, of course, uh, but we try to add more value and we are pretty specific around industry focus. We spend good majority of our time in the financial services space or in the healthcare space. And believe it or not, there's quite a, there's quite a lot of similarity and bridge between the underlying technologies and data services aspects of large companies that need private and protected, but also coalesced data information. 
So, so we have folks that work on the business side, um, working with their, their business leaders, helping to perfect products and go to markets. But then we come back and add all of the value to the CIOs and the IT folks as well. So it's a, it's a nice blend over the years that we've coalesced and, uh, you know, makes us a little bit more unique in the marketplace. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think that's the important part that you can identify, right? So, uh, especially in a market that is, you know, on the surface saturated, right? I mean, a lot of people would look at contingent labor, IT staffing, uh, solutioning, right. And think that it's a, a pretty, um, over overdone market but i mean as you and i both know there's still quite a need uh for folks right and so to understand what your value proposition is whether it's consulting whether it's whatever industry you're in that's a great vision for the leader to have to Mm -hmm. be able to translate down because that's what um i guess helps carry that that business forward right that helps give it that unique edge inside its own industry and that's that's fantastic to hear that you guys have that kind of on a a very razor sharp i mean you had that out in front of us without even breaking a sweat on it so that's that's fantastic well very fortunate we you know, I get to participate in, in a lot of the relationship build. So describing what we do is important, but, but trying to find the space of value for whomever that relationship build is with is incredibly important. I'll just give you one example, one additional example of kind of differentiation in the marketplace. We're an IT shop um, in data, as I described. We acquired a, nurse, a nursing firm about eight years ago, and, and we did it very strategically because our insurance clients, health insurance clients like a Blue Cross or Aetna or Cigna, uh, they really require uh, their vendor partners, their suppliers to be able to do more things than just technology. And as I said, we can bridge their patient care programs and membership uh, enhanced programs with the newer technologies, the now uh, machine learning and AI kind of components. And we did that by bridging and bringing in the clinical talent that helped us to you know, operate in their business space. That made us very unique um, in that space and continues to service us, again, very, very, very powerfully as we, as we try to add value for those clients. That's awesome. That is wonderful. That is, awesome. that is wonderful. It's like, yeah. you know, thinking about, and I, I don't think a lot of companies approach, you know, with that sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of times I think companies will build what they think the market needs as opposed right. to, you know, really listening to your clients and coming up with a solution to address some of their needs and thinking, how can this help us and grow as well? I mean, Mm -hmm. that is just incredible that you guys were able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's product development for us. Yes, absolutely. Just trying to be responsive. So yeah. Yep. Exactly. So we talked about it a little bit, you mentioned uh, in, in the opening part of that, you and your partner started this uh, firm way back in college. Personally, I was just trying to graduate. Um, so, <laughs> is is what it is. I love the um, transparency, Adam. I just love it. You yes. know, yes. How, it comes out every time we do this. Every time, but, I love it. But talk to us a little bit about what it takes to start a successful business, right? So, I guess you thought college was not challenging enough. Um, and then being an engineering student in college wasn't still enough of a challenge. So you decided yeah, he to start was obviously bored. Yes, yes. I mean, all this free time, right? Because I know personally, all business owners have so much free time. It's amazing. Yes. Um, but, but what does it take to start a successful business? And, and how do you, how do you then translate that into a legacy into writing kind of your mm. own story and the overall, you know, 
history of business uh, in this country? Well, geez, that's you got a lot there to to unpack. Let me let me first say that I usually, in reflecting on our own story and our history, I usually tell folks, uh, you know, find something that you're passionate about, right? Because whether it's a, a career or an entrepreneurship opportunity, find the passion because you'll want to jump out of bed every day and and try and do that and and be better at it. So when you start with that as the core, I tell uh, you know startups and entrepreneurs. What, what have you recognized as something that you're good at, something that you can develop, uh, something that the marketplace wants? I think sometimes, Chloe, to the point you made earlier, folks have this you know, invention kind of innovation mindset, and they want to come up with things that they think people want yeah. versus what they actually will buy. Exactly. And so you know, as a startup, you have challenges of access to capital, lack of relationships, credibility. The last thing you need is a product that nobody wants. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so we try Makes to root, root them with what are you good at? What do they want? And then understanding uh, what are the what are the easy uh, steps to to growth? And, uh, you know, our personal story there starts with uh, we started the business. We didn't make enough money in the beginning, which is a common you know, entrepreneurship story. So how do you finance the business? How do you how do you really get give it legs? And so we all did something else in the beginning. And so the first, call it 18 months, this was like a great hobby. You know, friends and family, I can go and fix things. I can do things. And we made money, but it wasn't a whole lot of money. We went and worked for other organizations that maybe, you know, from, a, from an enterprise perspective, maybe did some of the similar things. And we learned. And so you have to perfect your craft, right, as the second component. How do you perfect the craft? How do you, and this is where the diversity councils and National Business League groups like that come in. How do you mature the business and operating model such that a client would want to engage you? And then then thirdly, um, how do you deliver whatever that product or service is better than your competitors, right? And so those are kind of some of the initial pillars that we talk about. Um, We were able to do that. Uh, Very, very fortunate to have had a lot of customer partners, you know? And so when I say in the beginning chapter of that story, you need friends and family, friends and family are your first clients. And you need to, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's, it's always wonderful if you're not doing retail, it's always wonderful to think about your next steps in terms of where can I go tomorrow and get support, you know, uh, from a, from a, um, customer perspective, from a developmental perspective. And so those, those are some of the, the things that we, we, we kind of focus on from a startup perspective. I think uh, from a, the second part of your question, from a, a legacy and market and where does this, where does this fall out? <clears throat> nobody, ever, nobody ever starts with that in mind. At least I hope they don't, right? There's other things to concentrate on. And so, so here we are 20, 26 years later, you know, and we've, we've had a good run. We've won a few awards and, you know, made a few lists and all that stuff. You start to think about longevity and you say, how long can the organization sustain success? And how do I, how do I have customers that repeat for long periods of time? I have customers that are now 17 years old. And so how do you dynamically refresh those relationships? How do you change what you do as they change? And oftentimes we tell tell our clients, I don't want to be your largest supplier or partner or vendor. I just want to be your best. And so best is defined by how well I can align to them 
And that includes the community pieces. It includes the, the internal politics. It includes the delivery components, the pricing categories. It's a different thought process if you go into it and say, I want a long-term relationship with you. And I'll accept whatever it means along the way, but longevity is more important. And when you do that, then you can reflect back 26 years later and say, yeah, we've built a legacy and now it's built in such a way that it sustains itself. You know, and I think that's kind of the art to a lot of these problems that we all, all of us are trying to solve from an industry, whether that's technology or diversity or how do you build ecosystems and you know, programming that is self-sustaining and it's self-fulfilling? And if you can build it, again, a little bit of engineering coming back, if you can build those kind of components into it, then it makes, makes the journey easier for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You talked a little bit about, you know, at the beginning of your journey, how some of the development councils were helpful to you. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it means to be a minority business and the type of support that you received from some of these development councils as you know, we um, sort of look at the demographics of our audience. Some of the suppliers, you know, millennial suppliers are really sort of first now starting to understand what supplier diversity means and sort of the opportunities that, you know, being a certified MBE means. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and share some insights? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite the journey. And, um, you know, I've seen it on both sides and the councils have grown and changed a lot over the years too, right? Supplier diversity is a, is a story that goes back probably 50 years in terms of the federal government's desire to want to want to do and change and be, be better. And so these councils were developed. Um, we look at them now in, in kind of the, the two, two part component. And I'm a MBIC, the input committee chair. So I'm an input committee chair for the diversity council out of Michigan or the IT sector. So there's sectors in this case, sectors by industry. And we look at it in two ways. One is how do we take the level ones and choose the smaller um, MBEs, the startups and people who maybe not startups, but they just are smaller and that's the nature of their business, maybe even retail. And how do you support them with the programming and then the access programs and the access to capital probably is the most, probably the most important for a level one and level two. How do you as a council or an advocate kind of organization bridge and bring the banks and the equity partners to the table who also have the same mission of supporting MBEs. And that has grown and developed and changed and morphed in a very positive way tenfold um, since we started a uh, long, long time ago. And then we look at the level threes and fours, so the larger groups and say, well, how does the council add value for them developmentally? And, and the biggest thing that the council can do at that level is networking and relationship you know, kind of building opportunities, mm. putting, putting MBEs in front of cohorts of people in front of, you know, the appropriate relationship builders doesn't have to be. And I think this is a misnomer and we try to counsel the MBEs. It's not about contracts. You know, they want, they want the council to provide contracts and it's, you know, they're an advocacy group. They provide education, programming, training, net. And if you do those foundational components, you will be just fine. So people need to learn patience. They need to learn how to, you know, access some of these skills in terms of networking pieces. So it's, it's come a long way. It's, you know, just in our personal W3R journey, it's been awesome. We're probably today affiliates with uh, six different councils across the country, 
in varying, varying ways. And, and again, we try to add value. They're all a little different. Um, but those are typically when we enter a new marketplace, you know, one of the first or second things that we always do, we're going to look for supplier diversity inside of our client accounts. And we're going to look for the councils or related type of groups as they exist in every geography. Just let them know we're here. We're here. We're working. And if you need our help, we will come back and figure out how to engage. But if you need something from us, let us know up front. But uh, that's that's kind of like a, you know, kind of a thing that we check off that we have to go and identify uh, where that MBE type of support is going to come from. And, you know, I think that's fantastic, Eric. And I love it that you said um, it's all about advocacy. Right. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the national trade shows and that type of thing. In fact, as I put the one in Detroit a few years ago and you're standing on the trade show floor and somebody walks up to you and all of a sudden it turns into a used car dealership. I don't know how that happens. And they're like, well, what does it take to get your business today? And I'm like, uh, you not asking that question is probably step one. Right. Um, but I, I think that's great. And that's something I try to mentor all of my protégés about, too, is you go to the shows not to get the contract. You go to the shows to get the handshake. The handshake, the handshake is step one. Right. It's all about a relationship. None of us supplier diversity professionals carry master agreements in our briefcases. We're not signing you on the spot. We don't have preferred vendor lists. Understand your industry. Right. I, I have so many people come up to me in the financial district and think I work contingent labor like my partner who's in Ford or GM does. <laughs> and I'm like, two different industries. Please understand the difference in the industries. Right. Right. Start with the basics. So right. <laughs> start with the basics. Know what I do. Know how I work. It's amazing. Well, but Chloe, I, don't Chloe, don't think it odd if I see Adam and you see us hugging. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> so like, yes, yes. You, you get it. You understand. Yeah, yeah. When we're, we're, when we're at, yes. Yes. We're yes. at these trade shows yes. and we literally are having a party. That's in right. A booth. Yes. And it's about, you know, and, and other people see that. And I think sometimes that's actually a marketing tool. Other people see that and they're like, I want that relationship too. Exactly. Yeah. Who is that supplier? Oh, yes. Oh, oh, man. Amen. Amen. I love it. But when you're thinking of these different advocacy groups, um, we all know the NMSDC and all of its wonderful affiliate councils. What are some of the other groups that you guys are part of? Right. Because there's 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 industry specific groups. There are all sorts of different um, chamber of commerces and great resources out there. Give us top two or three other um, agencies it, that and advocacy groups that you're a part of that you found value in that maybe our listeners haven't heard of or thought of joining and being part of, because that's the biggest part is the relationships, the, the handshakes, the meeting people in your area and the, and the connectivity. Yeah, no, that that's, that's a great question. Cause I don't think one size fits all relative to where there's opportunity. Um, it does start with the councils. They're the easiest, most pervasive and largest. Um, from an MBE perspective, I would say you also hit upon the, the regional chambers. And now what we see is the regional chambers have awesome programming and committee level engagement. Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, MBE focused. Sometimes it's WBE focused. Sometimes it's just women in technology. Sometimes it's. And so, you know, we, we often uh, think about I want to put the right face and personality 
um, in front of the relationship. And so the regional chambers seem to have a little bit more of a alignment to that. So our senior leadership, depending upon where we are, will engage, whether it's myself, my partner, some of my senior VPs, they'll be the ones to engage. So it's not always me. I do a lot, but it's, you know, it's whatever fits the mode of the uh, geography and the organization. And then I would say uh, less known, but a hundred year old organization, Chloe knows them well, the National Business League, uh, Dr. Dr. Ken Harris, he's, uh, he's a great advocate and you know, they have started a platform that was originally by, founded by Booker T. Washington. It was really around supportive Black-owned business, right? African-American-owned business. Uh, expanding the mission, starting with that as the core, but expanding the mission to help diversity. And, and what he's doing is he's got his own programming and platforming, and he's not run by corporations from a board perspective, which is a major difference in the way he can advocate. Um, he gets to speak more freely he gets to interact and engage with social injustice organizations, perhaps like the NAACP or Rainbow Push. So he's a much different animal in the marketplace, but still a, a very superior advocacy group because of the reach. And now he's actually doing the uh, first stage development for the yes. NMSDC. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Nice. That's very really, nice. really interesting uh, kind of component because He'll get on and tell you that statistically something like 77% of all businesses, and if I use the city of Detroit, are one person owned entrepreneurs, um, and most of which are in a retail capacity. So he has all this data and statistical background. And so dealing with level ones is really where he spends a lot of his time. So those are just a couple examples of, of groups that we work with. There's several uh, across the country. And then I guess I just dovetail that when we talk about talent development, we use a lot of <clears throat> boot camping um, type of organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, groups that are focused on how do I pluck talent out of a neighborhood, um, uh, a, a generational element, people, people that, that want a deeper meaning to their life and they create opportunity through technology training and then career pathing. So working with them both from a talent pipeline perspective, but also mentorship is something else that we like to do. Grand Circus out of Detroit is another one that comes to mind. Um, so, anyway, so those are, so those are just a couple examples. That's yeah, awesome. That's wonderful. Yes. And shameless plug. I love Dr. Ken Harris and, <laughs> you know, I have never met anyone more passionate about accelerating, you know, small black owned businesses than him. Yes. I mean, he's just an incredible advocate. Yep. Love him. So, so I want to talk a little bit more about W3R and how the innovation. Yes. So how do you stay a step ahead of just sort of what's happening in your space and in the business world? Mm -hmm. how, do, how important is innovation to just the continuous growth um, of your company? Mm -hmm. Critical. And how do you... Yes, yes, critical, yes, yeah. yes, critical. very critical, but I know that it's, it's, it's difficult to create a culture of inner innovation, you know, um, within inside of organizations. So kind of talk a little bit about how you've been able to continue to drive that for so many years. Yeah. And, and I think the cultural component of that is acceptance, right? So we have a lot of folks that are recipients of our innovation and thought process inside the organization. And I credit them for being uh, recipients of that. I mean, they're stewards, if you will, of wanting to be different and better. And that's their role, right? So how do we take and, and implement said innovation? 
how we actually stay abreast of that technology. Um, we're very fortunate to have um, senior subject matter experts and technologists. Um, it's a passion of mine. We, we go to a lot of uh, conferences that focus on that. And then what we do is we'll just synthesize that down and say, but at the end of the day, only 10% of this is germane to what we do or value to the clients that we service. And then how do we, how do we morph, change, and integrate that? And we go through an annualized um, process for strategy planning. And one of those components is, is innovation. And so it's, a, it's part of our DNA that we do that every year. It takes us about 18 months to integrate something. And we don't believe in being the bleeding edge um, kind of value partner. We're more of the leading edge. And so for us, the consultancy portion of our business is where that comes into play. Um, our subject matter folks will help our clients at the highest level from advisory or architecture level, try to implement these industry best practices from a technological perspective. And once we do that, then it's easy to say, well, you know what, we've got products, programs, services that we've delivered that, you know, if I just modify what we did three years ago, it's still a value, but I can modernize the solution and it now realigns to even maybe a different part of the marketplace by just connecting these things. And so it creates opportunity to reuse the best in what you have, but then also um, look forward to learning something. And I think that's, you talk about how do you do it for a long period of time, exciting people, you know, creating energy. Um, that's, that's something that's incredibly important. If you want to keep your senior leaders around, you have to inspire them. And, and so the marketplace, you know, does a lot of that for us. And very lucky that we're in a space that's continuously changing. You know, it's, it's something that's very dynamic. We don't have to work too hard at it. We just have to keep pace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when you talk about, you know, earlier you mentioned just, um, you know, all the mentorship that you've been doing and how important that is to just your overall mission you know, how important is it to, to give back to the community and, you know, talk to us a little bit about um, just the STEM programs that you're involved with, involved in, especially just sort of in the Detroit area and with the youth. Right. Yeah, no, it's probably, again, I think personally, it's everyone's number one mission mm. um, inside the group. Uh, yeah. Professionally, it's probably second or third. We've got to make money to, to give it away. Mm. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the mindset true. there. You yeah. Know? yeah. We'll go, we'll go make it and then, and then do something positive with it. We had a, uh, we do these annual Christmas parties, very big Christmas parties. And one year we decided we would do an announcement and say, we're not actually going to celebrate our 20th anniversary. That's what it was. Our 20th, 20th anniversary. We're not going to celebrate our 20th anniversary with a party, but we announced it at a party, but we're not going to actually have a celebration for it. What we're going to do is we, and we announced it that night. We had big checks. We had uh, chambers of commerce. We had the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce. And at the time, the National Business League was the Michigan Black Chamber of Commerce. We had them both there. And we issued um, the first phase of scholarships that we wanted to program through their organization. That was our, that was our celebration of being 20 years old. We wanted to, to figure out a, a very demonstrative way to start to give back. Um, we do that through uh, the organizations. The mentorship comes through some of those organizations like the council, for sure. 
Um, <clears throat> I take calls several times a week with uh, startup level ones and, and provide guidance that way and then start to connect them with a pathway. Uh, and then, you know, sororities, fraternities, other, other kind of Im- embedded groups that have these programs. I actually was at a dinner just, just last night, another charitable that's regional here. Um, it's called Winning Futures. And their mission is to go into high schools and do their development. And they went from, in a, in a three-year period, they went from supporting students in a one-year journey to now saying it's, it can be up to an eight-year journey. So we'll go in high school and they'll support them through college. And that's, that's mentorship, that's financial in terms of uh, how do they get scholarship, all those kinds of things. So beautiful. And we just, you know, we try to fit in there because we have a lot to offer. In a lot of cases, we don't need to rebuild or, you know, recreate the wheel. We just need to participate, uh, grow what they have, uh, make what they have, because they're good models. How do we strengthen their modeling? How do we, you know, how do we push them to the next level? And then internally, we try to, we do our own charitable things Obviously, we still do our own scholarship programming and identification of talent. And then, and then we try to, on the business side, kind of we do a lot of the individual. On the business side, we try to figure out how do we, from a supply chain, and then Adam, I know that's something you care a lot about from a supply chain perspective, how, how do we cultivate you know, suppliers um, and put them into our supply chain so that you know, they can graduate? How do they get to the next level? And see, I love hearing that because it's sometimes – Small business owners almost have a culture shock. It's like, why would I want to grow a future competitor, right? It's kind of like, why, why would I do this? Like aiming the gun at myself, but what they don't realize is by making sure that there are strong competitors in your industry and you're helping bring them up, that actually increases your net worth inside the network. And if it comes back to relationships, like we discussed earlier, it's a, it's a 360, right? It's a full food chain. One can't exist without the other. Um, and you're actually growing the industry instead of restricting your opportunities. And I think that is an amazing thing um, to hear about. But Eric, I'd like for you to kind of, you know, listening to your uh, philanthropy is amazing to me, right? And I think a lot of people, when they look at everything that's happened in the last year and a half, and they see all of the big flags, the big flag corporates out there doing uh, this initiative and that initiative and this scholarship and that scholarship, that every, I think everybody's kind of like, well, we kind of expect you guys need to be doing that, right? And I'm not saying corporate shouldn't do that. I think it's the right thing to do. I think we should be doing it. And I think we need to do more of it. So let me just start there. But as you're mentoring small businesses, how do you get across to them that they too need to participate in this, right? When they get to a point, they need to start thinking of the, well, how do I start a scholarship? How do I give back? How do I mentor? How do I reach into a STEM program? And them not panic about, well, if I'm doing this philanthropic stuff, I'm now not running the business. And to your point, if I'm not making money, I can't give the money away. How do you help your protégés balance that transition from strictly a capitalist mentality to a, I'm running a business and I have a philanthropic side as well too. Cause I think that's an important yeah. piece that's hard to mentor in, even as I'm mentoring businesses. So that is, that is a great question. And, and when we started years ago, we, we probably were a little ahead of ourselves at the time. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, we wanted to start our own 501c3 as part of W3R just to do give back. We decided, we decided we weren't mature enough to do that, <laughs> but today we kind of, reflect back on that time period. And so we believe in lead by example. So um, the easiest way to get these uh, concepts across is to take your protege cohorts and make them. 
So um, in, in a lot of ways, uh, I will do the calls. I will help them. I will do development programming. And then when there's an opportunity for me to recruit people to participate in doing the same thing, they don't have a choice. If they want to get to the next level and they want W3R's participation and help to continue to push them, then they got to come and sign up. You know, there's just, there's just not a choice. If you're going to be part of our legacy, part of our team, part of our um, mentor protege, I like kind of putting in that, in that term. If you're going to be part of our legacy that way, then you'll learn how to do this because this is, this is a part of that. And so people have been receptive. I think they just, you know, they need to be led. They need to be pulled sometimes, dragged a little bit by the coattails and say, come over here first, because uh, this is what we're doing today. And we'll come back and we'll do that. And it, and it works. And, uh, you know, once they do that, then they start to they understand the benefits. And start to do it for themselves. That's, but that's, awesome. that's kind of our approach. Okay. I'm going to probably steal that in my next uh, mentoring <laughs> sessions too. So <laughs> cool. <laughs> yes. Well, Eric, before we wrap up, I just have one last question for you. Um, obviously, you are a very successful entrepreneur with multiple, several awards under your belt. You know, what advice or encouragement would you give to those who are looking to make a start in the business world, particularly now in, you know, post-COVID? You know, what, you know, what would you say to minority business owners who are, who are just working to become established and secure? Well, first thing is I'd say uh, patience and perseverance. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, as we've seen in terms of the return to work. Um, so if you're a service-based company, there's no shortage of opportunity. Just be wise and pick you know, the right category in the area to focus on. I would also say that um, you know being focused around how to add value to your clients is as important as it is to be good at something in your core delivery. And, and, and then I would say, um, seek out, and we had done a, a, an article on this previously. I think everyone who's a startup needs to seek mentors, you know, um, from day one so that you have somebody that can um, help guide you. You can bounce the ideas. They can tell you when you're crazy, you know, um, but you need mentorship. And it doesn't really matter. And I think this is maybe a misnomer doesn't really matter how big you are. You can be mentored. I learned that lesson probably 15, 20 years ago. You can be a billion dollar company and still be mentored by one of the large companies in you know, global companies, right? So the word mentor is sometimes is miscast, but everyone needs it. Everyone should have it. And, you know, and, and you can't really ever have too many, you know? And so, and so we, again, we, as much as we can, we try to provide that as a, as a give back opportunity for folks. But I would certainly think that people need to seek that out um, as they get started. So that's kind of one of the other pieces of advice we give. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that. that. Incredible. Incredible. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate everything that you've shared. And, you know, it's really just inspiring to hear your story and and to hear how philanthropic and Mm -hmm. your mission behind so much of what you've done and how you've been able to run parallel tracks to continuing to give back as you've grown. So, I mean, it's just really, really impressive. So be sure to keep up with Eric and his work at www.w3r.com. And you can also follow W3R on LinkedIn at W3R Consulting and stay tuned um, for our next episode. Thank you so much, Eric, again. Thank you again. Thank you guys. Thanks for being so gracious. I appreciate the opportunity.
Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.